Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Geico presents Motorcycle Word of the Day. Today's word is gremlin. Is a gremlin an unknown and persistent mechanical issue? Or is it something large that gets caught in your teeth when you ride with your mouth open? As in... Man, I gotta stop singing 80s power ballads when I ride. Ugh, keep getting gremlins in my teeth. See? Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to Is This Real Life? A podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of pop culture and reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 70. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Instead of breaking down the minute-by-minute drama of each of the Housewives shows, we're going to get into a little bit deeper thoughts on what makes these women the way that they are. My guest, Jamie Stein, is an empath and an intuitive, and he's going to share with us his thoughts on the women of the OC, a little bit of Potomac, and some Dallas. And finally, his thoughts on LVP, because you know, I couldn't help but ask. Thanks all for listening, and hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. I am here with Jamie Stein. Some of you might recognize him from being on the Bitch Sesh uh, podcast a few different times in the past few years. But Jamie is an empath, and he's also intuitive. And I can't wait for him to give some readings on our favorite housewives. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Mandy. How are you? Great. So I wanted to hear first from you how you came to the Housewives and to watching Bravo before we get into all that you are and that you do. Uh, Yeah, I'm an old school Bravo watcher. I definitely was around for the days of first season of Project Runway and back when they were doing, um, you know, there was Blowout, there was Flipping Out, there were a bunch of shows without in the title. So I was (laughs) back there way back when and I actually used to work in reality TV. So I worked on four seasons of The Real World uh, way back when. Wow. yeah, I'm a huge. I was I was watching Big Brother the first season. It was uh, oh no, not the first season, the second season. So I just come from a background of absolutely loving reality TV. Um, having said that, I did resist Real Housewives for a minute. I did. It felt a little lower than I wanted to go at the time. Um, but I had a best friend who was watching it and kind of filling me in. And finally, what happened was. I was in New York for my brother's wedding, and it was one of those really wintry, snowy, cold New York weeks, and I was kind of 
basically uh, sort of locked in winter logged into the apartment for the week. And um, I caught the tail end of a an Atlanta marathon. It was the first season of Atlanta. And then that just kind of oh, yeah, right into the like next season of Orange County, which was the fourth season. And I just kind of surrendered. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. My, my fascination with Vicki Gunvalson kind of pulled me in and I've never looked back. I watch every franchise, every season, every episode. I love that story. And I'm glad that you came to it at a time where you just happened to be cold. Because most time when I talk to people, they're like, so I just had surgery or a loved one just died. <laughs> and I came to a marathon of the housewives. But it is it finds us when it finds us. Now, tell me a bit about what it means to be an empath. Yeah, so an empath, very simply, the way I define it and the way it's typically defined is someone who is able to feel other people feel other people's feelings in their body. So, you know, if I'm sitting with you, for example, and maybe you're playing off a situation, maybe someone rejected you and you're playing off a situation, I will often be able to literally feel your hurt or your sadness that you're not owning and claiming and expressing inside my own body. I can almost feel it as if it were my own. Um, So basically the broader premise of my work from a spiritual standpoint is that we're constantly co-creating our realities with the universe or the powers that be or whatever you want to call it. Um, So it's a belief system that basically says some part of our inner landscape is manifesting our external circumstances. So let's say you're having struggles or conflicts or blocks in certain areas of your life. Uh, I believe there's something inside of us that's manifesting that for a reason that has some sort of unconscious investment in sort of what's going on. Or there's an invitation for us to explore and navigate the 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 conflict or the difficult situation for a deeper learning about ourselves. So oftentimes what I do with clients when they come to me for sessions is they'll come in saying, hey, you know, I'm blocked around romance or I'm blocked around creativity or work's not going well or, you know, I'm constantly fighting with my husband. And what I'm able to do is basically kind of act as if I am a psychic emotional detective where I'm able to sort of go into the landscape of their unconscious and really start to identify what's going on with them on that deeper level. Like what are the unexpressed feelings for you here? What are the unexpressed emotions? What what are the thoughts, the unconscious thoughts and beliefs you have about love or you have about creativity that are getting in your way? And I'm able to bring those to the surface and then start working with the client to kind of really understand, okay, where does this belief system come from? You know, why is it so difficult for you to express your feelings? And we just go on a journey together where they're able to reclaim parts of themselves that they might not know even existed in the first place. Does that make sense? Yes, that is incredible. A psychic emotional detective. We all need one, right? For sure. God knows I do. (laughs) And that's where, so what does it mean then to be intuitive? And are all people who are empaths intuitive? That's a really good question. To me, they are two different threads, you know, because I feel the feelings in my body, but then I need to interpret them. And 
as I interpret them, I will get intuitive information about the person. So, um, you know, I will start to hear things in my brain um, around, like, you know, just a really simple example. It's like, okay, like, I'm feeling this place inside you that says, I will never let you win. Let's just say that's the unconscious kind of voice operating inside someone that's causing them to, like, pull back from the world. I'll never let you win. And then I might get a simple hit that just says, okay, I'm really feeling mom around this. You know, so let's mm -hmm. talk about mom. And, like, this is the energy I feel off it. And, um, you know, and it, sometimes it's, like, even just more general information about who the person is. Like, why am I suddenly getting an image of you, like, you know, writing? What's your relationship to writing? Or I'm really suddenly getting a hit around, like, you and creative purpose. Can we start talking about that? So. I don't exactly know how it happens for me, you know, on those sort of astral levels. I just know that when I start feeling into a person's emotions and interpreting them, I then start getting what I would call intuitive and psychic information about them. Um, and it all becomes the basis of our conversation together. But they do feel like two separate things. And I don't know if all empaths, I would say no. I don't think all empaths also have necessarily that intuitive thread but it's hard to say because being an empath there is something intuitive about it it's all kind yeah. of a cluster you know <laughs> i think everyone has their own way of accessing information interpreting information like for me i will also tell you like i tend to specialize in the gunk I'm not scared of it. So I'm really able to hold space for the unexpressed anger. I'm really able to hold space for sexuality and knots in sexuality. I'm really able to hold space for creativity blocks, like life force stuff. I have no judgment about it. I find it powerful. I love supporting people's anger and sexuality. So I tend to get drawn to those places in people. Um, but I imagine, you know, someone else is, you know, someone else is going to be talking to the angels and bringing through the angelic messages. You know, that's not really my bag, you know. So I think different people have different skill sets. And it's just kind of a question of, you know, what's your skill set and how does the information come through you? Wow, this is so interesting to me, and it's so different from anything I really know about. But I'm just interested in getting into some of the guck and the muck with you with regards to our favorite <laughs> housewives. I know you're mm -hmm. a huge fan of the Real Housewives of Orange County, and I really wanted to talk to you not just about the OGs. A lot of us have sort of, from whatever vantage point, psychoanalyzed Vicky. <laughs> And I've talked mm -hmm. a lot about my issues with Tamara, but I want to mm -hmm. get into some of the newer ladies on the show. In particular, yeah. would love to start with Bronwyn and her mm -hmm. relationship with her mom, Dr. Deb. Yeah. So you just want kind of like a general overview of what I'm getting off those two? Yeah. What are you feeling from Bronwyn? Because just me watching... I'm feeling as if she's maybe not ever allowed herself to think about her childhood much and some of the pain that she has. And she's using this experience on the housewives to kind of uncover that with her mom. But would love yeah. to hear how, how you feel about that. Well, that's a whole issue that I've been thinking about. I've really been thinking lately about these cast members who choose to bring on their strong, problematic parents onto the show. I think it's a really interesting uh, choice. Um, 
But before we get into that, I think with Bronwyn, what I'm really seeing and sensing is someone who is very, very reticent to let go of the idea of like her mother ever kind of really showing up for her in the way that she wants her to show up for her. Uh, so we know that Bronwyn felt kind of like shuffled around as a kid and like her needs weren't really met. And I think that there's this young part of Bronwyn that just really is sort of hoping and praying that at some point Dr. Deb is still gonna come through for her and she's finally gonna be seen and heard in the way that she's always wanted to be seen and heard. And I think part of that is like a really young hope that she can really be close with her mother and be really good friends with her mother. Because I think she loves her mother. I mean, I think she genuinely loves her. I think she wants to be close to her. And I think she's really resisting the place where she has to kind of recognize Dr. Deb's limitations. And in the place where she recognizes Dr. Deb's limitations, she's going to have to surrender to that place inside that says, oh shit, like I really didn't get what I needed. It hurts. And now I need to draw some boundaries with my mother and I need to kind of let go of this image of the kind of relationship that I wanted to have. Um, And I think, yeah, that's why we're kind of seeing her trying to work it out with Dr. Deb. And I feel like that dinner they had at that restaurant Mozambique, I believe it was called. <laughs> um, I just always love the names of the restaurants in OC. Um, they, you know, it was to me, it was really kind of like, in a way, Bronwyn kind of asserting herself, kind of asserting her emotional experience. But what I really heard was like, "Mom, will you give me permission to feel this? Like, Mom, will you validate this for me?" And that's never going to work, you know, because yeah. she's essentially going to the woman who never saw her and heard her in the first place. And she's saying, will you see and hear me now? Will you see and hear me now? Will you see and hear me now? And it's not gonna happen, because Dr. Debs, you know, she just doesn't have it in her right now to see and hear Bronwyn. So, you know, the more that Bronwyn kind of goes back in looking for permission and validation, the more she's really just keeping this dynamic alive. Um, which I think is, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a nice illustration for all of us. Like, don't try to be seen and heard by someone who's not going to see and hear you. You know, it's not to work out with your mother. It's to work out on your own. Wow. That's very profound. I definitely get a lot of that sense from Bronwyn. And Dr. Deb just seems like a very complicated woman. Or maybe she's Mm -hmm. not complicated at all. But I find her routinely kind of using words, particularly from (laughs) like the 10, what is it, for burning man they have like 10 principles or something like that and she when Bronwyn was talking to her about how she wished her mom had been there more for her when she was four and didn't force her to do things on her own like take the bus and stuff like that and her mom was like I was teaching you radical self-reliance which is just comes directly from like the principles of burning man (laughs) It's like, I don't think that's meant to be applied to a four-year-old. It's meant about radical self-reliance as a community, but okay. (laughs) Well, it's also amazing because she didn't discover Burning Man until much later. So it's sort of like a retroactive. um, I mean, I want to say, like, I actually kind of have this strange soft spot for Dr. Deb because she feels so, on an unconscious level, she feels so mischievous. Like, she's so clever in the way mm-hmm. that she set this all up. Because she, she does. She uses spirituality 
as her weapon. And um, I think that's amazing. It's very clever. She's clearly a very intelligent woman. Um, her defense system is very elaborate. Like Vicki Gundelson, her defense system's not elaborate. Like she's pretty effing transparent. You know, Dr. Deb, though, she can come back at you with a lot of spiritual rhetoric and turn things around, you know, to let you know why, why you're actually the problem and she's actually the wise one. So I do think it's very mischievous and playful, um, even though, you know, for Bronwyn, it's not, uh, it's not a pleasant experience as her daughter. But, you know, I just think it's so interesting. Like, she, she's the one, right, who will wear the, the statement necklace that says ego. And it's meant clearly to be provocative to other people. But it's just so interesting because it's like, you know, the place in you that wants to educate other people about their ego and the power of ego is coming from your ego. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> you don't care yes. about educating yes. other people's ego unless you are in your own ego. And so I love that because it's like, she doesn't, she's not even aware of it. It's like she truly is modeling for others the very thing she needs herself, right? It's like she needs to look in that mirror, see that ego necklace and understand she is using spirituality as a covert way to feed her own ego, um, which is why I just find her so clever and mischievous because it's like, look at this, look at this like elaborate maze of a defense system she set up. It's like impossible to penetrate that, right? Um, wow. So it, yes? like I said, no, 100%. I kind of saw her, you know? It's maddening. I'm, I'm enjoying her too. I just think she's a delight to watch on camera. But I, I, I do see her being problematic as a mother. The thing that I thought was really interesting, though, recently was, so I thought the dinner at Mozambique was a disaster. But what I did think was really interesting and what gave me more hope for Bronwyn was that hike that they went on recently where Bronwyn was trying to explain, like, hey, you know, your actions ended up leaving my daughter with the one woman I didn't want my daughter left with. And what I thought was so interesting about that was, again, Bronwyn was trying to be seen and heard. Dr. Deb wasn't seeing and hearing her. And for the first time, you saw Bronwyn, in a way, give up. And basically what she did was, like, rather than trying to be seen or heard, she simply took responsibility for her own experience, which was basically like, okay, like, I'm shutting down now. This is what happens. I'm shutting down. She allowed that to happen. And then in that moment where she kind of gave up the fight, you saw her come to the boundary where she was basically like, okay, if this is the way it is, then I'm gonna have to start having boundaries around childcare, like the end. And what I thought was so interesting about that was in that moment, finally Dr. Deb was like, I get it, I hear you. And I just thought that was so interesting. It's like when you try to be heard by someone who's not gonna hear you, you get nowhere. But when you give it up, right, and you just take responsibility for your own experience, okay, I'm shutting down now. This is what happens. Okay, this is the boundary I need to have. Suddenly, something opens up on the other side. I just thought that was really fascinating to watch. That was. Yeah. I feel like Bronwyn is, is very is becoming much more in tune with herself. That's the thing. It's like when Bronwyn sees and hears herself, suddenly she's getting seen and heard by people around her. But when she's begging, like, see me and hear me, trying to get that validation elsewhere, she's not getting seen or heard. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. like she's not, 
she needs to validate her own experience. And that's why, like, if I were working with her, I'd just be like, Bronwyn, don't, like, don't, don't try to work this out with your mother. Like, go to therapy, you know, let's start writing a play. Like, whatever it is you need to do, work this out on your own and then have your boundaries, you know, and then you'll see what kinds of things shift. But I just thought the contrast between those two scenes was really interesting. That is fascinating. I didn't see it from that point, but I see that now. Now, a couple scenes that we've been seeing all season that have been very uncomfortable for all viewers are any scenes involving Emily and her husband, Shane, who Mm -hmm. appears to despise her. And he's been gone for, what, 10 days taking the bar exam. He's been studying. He's staying at a hotel. He's not around for his parents' birthday. She's celebrating his parents' birthday without her. My theory on him, separate from what's going on in their marriage, is that he didn't like how he was portrayed on camera last year and is mad that his wife is continuing to be on this TV show where he was displayed poorly and, you know, she's continuing to do this and he probably, maybe he didn't like it and maybe he said, I don't want to be on film. But then I saw him in confessionals, meaning he gets paid by Bravo to be in those confessionals to talk directly to the camera. So then I wasn't sure what I thought anymore. <laughs> what, what, is, what do you make of this mess? Oh, ma'am. Well, you know, I felt like he was resenting her, you know, as far back as last season. So I definitely wasn't attributing, you know, viewer backlash to his behavior. I feel like we've been seeing this from the beginning. I think that, yeah, he, this is a man with so much buried rage inside of him um, that leaks out in his sarcasm. And yeah, he is so disdainful of Emily. I mean, if you really want to know, I, I feel, I always say, look, this is playful exploration. I'm obviously watching an edited TV show. I don't yeah. know any of these people. So take this all with a grain of salt. But, yeah, you we're know, just all speculating here. We're just speculating. My, my sense, if I had to bet, the sense that I get off this TV show, honestly, is that Perry feels like a very larger-than-life woman. Uh, she, 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 she runs the show. She bought the house. She bought the car. He's living next door to her. I mean, people talk about Candace living in, his, in her mama's house. Shane's living in his mama's house, right? I believe she, they bought the house for them. Um, oh my, God. my sense is that this woman, yeah, had a lot of – I think she had a very big presence in Shane's life as a child. And I feel like he probably did not have a strong sense of boundaries. I felt like probably there's, uh, yeah, probably there was a sense of sort of invasion and and not being able to kind of have a no with this woman. And I think that, I think he's outraged. And I think he's definitely probably got complicated relationship with women. Because Perry seems very, you know, she's, she's the first one to be on camera and full makeup. And I mean, you know, God bless her. She's very vital. You know, she's, 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 uh, got a ton of energy, but it's interesting, right? It's interesting to watch like Emily so at odds with her kind of feminine archetypal feminine energy, and then there's Perry who's sort of like living it up and running the show as the matriarch. And so I think, you know, my sense, my guess with Shane, and I think that he's someone who has never had space for his rage, never had space for the place where he just wants to say like, "fuck 
you like get the fuck off me like I kind of hate there's a place where I hate women and I think he wanted to just kind of like get into a marriage where he could be on automatic pilot and sort of not have to deal with any of this stuff and I think when Emily comes to him with her wants and her needs I think he's just really reading it as like a demand and I think in the place where he's never really allowed to have his emotions expressed he's just like get the fuck away from me I don't want to deal with any of this and there's just this kind of like underlying rage underneath their entire household. Again, that was bought for them by his parents, you know, by his parents. He just feels like, he feels like this guy who's got such big, strong energy and it is just being held inside. And it's, it's uncomfortable to watch for sure. I didn't realize that his parents had purchased the house that they live in but yes, I am remembering that now, which definitely adds a new layer to all of that complication. Yeah, I think they said that, right? I no, think you're right. You're that. right. And they're not Mormon, right? He is, but his parents are not. Right, which is interesting. It's, it's interesting, very interesting, right? Because his parents, like his mom and his sister will have like wine and hang out and his mom and dad will go to Vegas and watch Emily in a show where she is, you know, partially nude and he that him I, I don't know where he came to be a Mormon or how that all happened or why or what he was seeking. I don't I mean obviously I don't know where or when or how either, but it is interesting from the standpoint of like you know, and I, and I actually say this, I, 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 I say this with all due respect to Mormonism. I actually have clients who've been Mormons, uh, but you know, it can be restrictive, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's interesting from the standpoint of like, this is a man who's got a lot of big energy that he's keeping small. It's like to seek out kind of an entire culture that almost gives him permission and an excuse to stay really small and restricted and bundled up. You know, I mean, I think it's also safe to hypothesize he might have a complicated relationship to his sexuality and sexual energy. Yeah. Uh, so that also might give him an excuse for kind of just putting everything under a rug that he doesn't really want to look at. Again, because I don't think he really had space or permission to deal with the feelings that were coming up in his childhood. I mean, that's my that's my guess based on what I'm seeing. I see that. To you, I mean, does Perry seem, how does she seem to you? I mean, she's always come off to me as kind of a, I mean, she presents very, like, accommodating and helpful, but I just always get this undercurrent of, like, no, this is the woman who's running the show, and you don't cross Perry, and her presence is known. But how have you experienced her? I, she's always seemed so sweet and so kind and almost, like, demure, but then when I think about it, when Emily does come to her with something more serious, she's very dismissive. Like mm -hmm. when she told Emily if she has issues in her marriage, go to the bathroom <laughs> and yell into the toilet. I mean, yeah. it was funny. I, I, It's always funny to hear people who've been married for so many decades and whatever they use to get by. It clearly is working for them if they're happy. But that didn't seem like the right <laughs> piece of advice and actually seemed to completely dismiss Emily's very valid feelings. 
Well, and also, can we just say, is it not a little strange that Emily's going to the mother-in-law for marital advice? Like, yeah, I've thought a lot about this. I think Emily desperately wants the family that Shane had growing up. And she grew up, she had a very kind of tenuous relationship with her mom who was battling various mental health issues. And they went Mm -hmm. a period without speaking. And I think she sort of fell in love with Perry and Perry became her sort of de facto mom. And she goes to her as if it's her mom, but it's it's not. It's Shane's mom. And it's weird to me. And look at the flavor of it, though, right? Because it's like, you know, for me, I've always been picking up on uh, sort of lack of emotional, energetic boundaries between Perry and Shane. And so, like, I hear what you're saying, right? Like, maybe Emily is looking to her as, like, a surrogate mother, substitute mother. But then it creates this flavor of, like, boundarylessness. Like, there's just sort of all these blurred emotional roles in this family. Um, And I, you know, it's kind of like I always look to the flavor of just even the smallest things to kind of give a an insight into the bigger picture. So for me, like, what I'm seeing, it's like, okay, they're neighbors. Perry has bought the house, you know, Perry and the Larry, I think that's the name. They're showing up at the anniversary <laughs> dinner and for the anniversary show, Emily's going to her for marital advice. Like there's just a boundarylessness in this whole kind of family structure. And I think that's very telling. And to me, it kind of, it's part of why I'm really conjecturing that Shane didn't have a lot of like agency to say no growing up and that he may have felt really, sort of energetically violated. It just felt like, it feels like Perry is everywhere. And that's not healthy. That is not. And I think last time, last season, I swear to God, I remember Emily saying kind of something about like, you don't piss Perry off. Like there was an element of fear and something around like, if Perry's not happy, I'm gonna be back in a Jetta or something like that. (laughs) Jetta. And it's like, you know, that's in- that's an interesting statement. So you are living in fear of this woman. I mean, that's, I mean, it's so funny, right? People reveal themselves with these casual comments. It's like, Emily's joking about that, but listen to what she's saying. It's like, if I piss this woman off, I'm out of house and home. You know, like my lifestyle's gone. Like, you know, my family as I know it's gone. I mean, that's a very tenuous sense of family, home, and like clan. And it's, it's not, you know, I mean, it makes me concerned for her. I'm like, I wouldn't be joking about that. You know, I'm, I wouldn't I'm be concerned. joking about that. I'm concerned because I feel like their marriage is basically over and they're just trying to make it work and it's not working. And what's going to happen to her if she does decide to walk away? I feel like she's more, would be more upset to lose Perry for whatever good or bad she brings to Emily's life than she would be about losing Shane. Well, she, I mean, but she's also so invested in making this work with him. I mean, it's sort of the Luann of it all with Tom. It's like, you know, just watching her in this Vegas suite being like, I am committed to our marriage. And I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm watching her looking at this man who's so clearly disengaged and just watching her put her head down saying, I'm committed to making this work. So there's some unconscious investment for her around yeah. like throwing her energy into a relationship where she, it's not going to be reciprocated. I mean, do you want my really quick hit on Emily? I know we've spent a lot of time yeah, on that. Yeah, I know. Give, give your quick hit. 
I mean, I actually, I, so I sometimes make like YouTube videos going into the, my hits on the housewives. And I said this like first episode of Emily back last year, like my sense of her is that this is someone. And so it's interesting to watch her doing this dance now because what I said was her, I feel she's got so much archetypal feminine energy in her. Like she's, she's voluptuous, she's luscious, she's beautiful. She feels like a wife and a mom. Like I just feel like she is someone who wants to be in this deep, powerful, archetypal, womanly, feminine energy, and yet for some reason she's so uncomfortable with it inside of herself. And I feel like on some level she's choosing Shane because if she were with a real man who kind of had like strong masculine, archetypal masculine energy, she would then have to surrender to her own archetypal womanly energy and I think for some reason that's very difficult it, it would take her somewhere she's not willing to go you know so right now and so it's so interesting this season to literally watch her like fumbling it's, it could be a dream that her subconscious dreamt up like she could be dreaming about this oh I dreamt that I was trying to like do this feminine seductive dance and I made mistakes on the stage it's like she's trying to access this energy uh, but there's something in her that I think is so at odds with it and that's why she's sort of brought in this man boy who will never create the space that she needs to truly surrender I think they're both inverted I think that he actually has a lot of strong, powerful, masculine energy that is totally driven underground because he didn't have space for it as a kid. And so now he's this man child who like barely works, isn't really there for his family. And I think she is such like a, just like a, a woman of the home. Like I just, she feels so like, she just feels like there's a tarot card that I'm seeing of like this, this mom, like this sort of like archetypal Italian mother who's got a plate of food. Like that's how I see Emily. And mm -hmm. it's just so interesting. She's in this situation where she wears the pants in the family. She's got two jobs, you know, it's like, yeah. it's just, I feel like they're so inverted. And by the way, just, just to be clear, I'm not saying archetypal uh, womanly energy can't work as well, but you know, I'm just talking about archetypes here. You know, it's just yeah. interesting, right? It's like, I think they're both inverted. I think he's got so much disowned provider sexuality, masculine energy, and she's got so much a disowned kind of caregiver, like womanly, sensual energy, and they're just missing each other. They're definitely missing each other. I, I don't know what's going to happen throughout the season, and I can't imagine what it must feel like for her to watch this back because and to see everyone's reactions to him because it's just they're all so negative. She's in denial, though. I mean, she's still defending him. On, so I don't know. I, know. I don't know if it's one of those things where it's like, you know, sometimes they defend and they defend. And then finally at the reunion, they're like, OK, I'm divorced. So I don't know if that's yeah, what's going right. on. Right. That's what I'm waiting for. I don't know. I, I don't know. She's a little bit like she reminds me of Ariana on Vanderpump Rules in the sense that, like, I feel like she presents as a more or less normal, nice, smart woman. But I just feel like there's actually so actually oh my god i just <laughs> i just got jolts through my body yeah like no there's so much going on there that she's not she's not dealing with there's so much um i mean i don't want to get too serious for your audience but like screams of terror like it just feels like there's a lot there that she's not i think she's sitting with a lot that she's not been honest about she is. so and you know we did see last season her open up about losing twins uh, while she mm. was pregnant and and that was really dark and how you know Shane wouldn't really allow her to be in her grief 
or at least to be comfortable in her grief. Well, and let's also not forget that this sort of nice, docile woman, like the second that Shane was being insulted, went to, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yes, I mean, yes, yes. This is, there are dark waters in this woman, there you are. know? And, and I think it's, int- I mean, and I remember like what was so interesting to me was like sort of seeing her in this strong energy, sort of stomping around the house being like, I can't believe you called him a little bitch. And it, again, to me, I was like, look at like, if we, again, we step back and we look at this like a dream, it's like, look at the archetypes we're getting, like the emasculated man, little bitch, like this sudden, like sort of thunderous woman who's like, you know, in her kind of like killer energy. There, it just feels like there's all these like, inverted distortions if that makes sense yeah um it's fascinating there are themes playing out with this family um for sure and it has a lot to do with masculinity femininity man woman sexuality so yeah it's it's a lot another person who is quite a lot is gina now i Mm -hmm. think i wrote her off last season as not having much depth and not even having much darkness But she is the darkest person I have ever seen on this show, I think. I don't want to get too into the abuse allegations, Mm -hmm. although her husband was charged with a felony, felony abuse. Yeah. Between that and just how much she wasn't sharing about her marriage and the demise of her marriage and the reasons behind the demise of her marriage... I think there's more that she's hiding with regards to the abuse. And now mm-hmm. she's buddy-buddy with Shannon, who, let's not forget, Vicky kind of ousted <laughs> that she had a situation of abuse with her ex-husband that she would never acknowledge. And I think Vicky is a liar. I do think she lies. I do not think she lied about David hurting Shannon at all. So I think these are two women that have been victims of abuse that don't want to have that narrative. And so they're doing whatever they can to convince themselves that that's not who they are. Well, that's all really interesting. <laughs> so I'm dark. just taking in what you're saying. No, I mean, I will say, I mean, you're, yeah, the Shannon of it all is an interesting wrinkle, which might be interesting to explore. Yeah, but, you know, what I will say, no, I actually found, like, Gina last season, I found so dark and disturbing. And um, to the point, like, she was easily in my top three least favorite housewives of all time. Like, I found her, like, I could I could barely stand to watch her last season. Um, I just, her negative intention most towards Shannon, I, I, it was like the level of cruelty that I felt in this woman of sort of poking and prodding Shannon. Um, and I'm not even a huge Shannon fan. And I, you know, I think Shannon's a handful, but like Gina just had it out for Shannon. And I felt like, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much in last season because, you know, there's this season, but, you know, I remember last season, like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say this and I'll kind of get into my take on Gina. Um, I felt like Shannon had legitimate issues with Gina. Like, you know, there was that dinner that they had this season um, where basically there had been that fight between Kelly and Emily. Yes. I'm going to kill you fight. Um, 
and Gina was kind of sitting at this dinner and being like, well, Shannon, I don't understand. Like, why did you wind Kelly up? Like, why didn't you defuse the situation? And I remember just kind of being like, Gina, what are you doing right now? Like, you weren't there for this. This has nothing to do with you. Like, why are you weighing in? And so Shannon, you know, got a little, like, testy, which I thought she had every right to do. And then Gina did that thing. I was like, oh, I don't know why you're getting so upset with me right now. It felt very gaslighty to me. It's like the reason why Shannon's getting upset with you right now is because you're poking and prodding in a place that's none of your business. And now you're kind of stepping back as if you didn't do anything. And again, that to me, it was very minor. But again, there was that flavor of, I'm just gonna kind of poke you with a smile on my face, and then I'm gonna step back and kind of call you crazy. And I felt that vibe from Gina all through last season, and I hated it. So, you know, what I'll say kind of catching up to this season, you know, I mean, I have full permission to get as dark as I want to, yes? Yes, go ahead. (laughs) We embrace the darkness. You embrace the darkness, okay. I think it's interesting that Gina is always keeping things to herself. You know, I think it's interesting that Gina is always kind of like not wanting to acknowledge how bad things really are. And I've gotten a sense from last season as she is another person who's bringing her parents on the show. I have felt something. So I already know, okay, there's an energetic pattern in Gina where she feels like she has to put on a brave face. She can't acknowledge how bad things really are. And so I'm like, okay, so that's a a note I've got in my brain about her. She learned that somewhere. I can't let people see what's really going on. And then she's got these parents who feel, they feel, especially the father, they feel very overly involved to me. And um, I thought it was... Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, like the way in the premiere that she was like talking about being so scared to make that phone call to her parents and disappointing them, which I want to say, I get it. Of course, I don't think anyone wants to call their parents and say, hey, I got a DUI. But there was like a level of like the way that she was like, I don't want to disappoint them. I was just like, to me, I was like, there's something here. There's something about not disappointing mom and dad that felt very, very deep. You know, my vibe off that is like, I feel like it's kind of like mom and dad are really involved. We're really close. And in that framework, there are things that I can't say. I mean, it's sort of similar to Shane. It's like there's an expectation on me. There's a pressure on me. I love these people. I want to be worthy of their love. I can't let them see anything kind of about them or this dynamic I don't like. I got to keep a smile on my face and I just got to keep things moving. And I think in the place where she's felt any kind of like silent demand, pressure or expectation, there's an underground unconscious place where she's pissed. And I think that's the place that likes to kind of poke other people. We're seeing her do it now with Emily. It's like she's friends with and so let me just turn the screws to Emily. I think there's just a cruelty in her that for me comes from the place where she hasn't been allowed to have the full range of her experience. I think she loves sticking it to other people. I do. I feel a heaviness when it comes to her. It, it's, it's masked as love and concern, but I feel a real heaviness from her parents. So that's kind of, that's that, I mean, that's my take. That's so interesting. I have definitely not appreciated how she's been treating Emily all season. Anytime Emily says anything, it's like, pay attention to me and only me and don't give any of your own life examples or any of your own thoughts about anything. It's, it's, she's the new Shannon. Like, it's just, I feel like Gina always has to have someone that she's kind of tormenting. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Is that which is interesting? I mean, I'm pausing because it's like, okay, so what's going on intuitively? It's like that word suddenly felt important, tormenting. I think there's a relationship to torment. I think on some level she felt tormented. I feel like on some level she felt fucked with, you know? And so it's like now she's going to fuck with other people. And that there is a flavor of like, I'm going to sort of torment you. And I think that's why it's been so uncomfortable for me to watch her. I have it easier with her this season now that she is being more forthcoming and I can feel more compassion for what she's going through. But it's hard to watch her. I don't like feeling that place where she likes to put the screws to other people. It's very, very cruel and it's very disowned. I I never really saw it as her being that mean to Shannon. I almost saw it the other way around. But now that you say it, it was like Shannon was in such a raw, difficult place that she knew what she was doing by kind of like picking at her. Oh, totally. And I think she likes to watch it. Because again, in the place where she doesn't have permission, I mean, she actually even said that this season. I was jealous that you could make a mess. I mean, that's what I was about to say. It's like in the place where she doesn't have permission to be in her feelings, I think she likes to fucking gaslight people, poke them, and then she gets a pleasure out of watching them freak out. But I would say, I mean, if you're ever bored, go back and watch that dinner scene, you know, where she kind of gaslit Shannon with the whole Kelly-Emily fight. And then go and watch the reunion last season. Because that was where I was just like, Look at how hard uh, Gina is going in on Shannon. I mean, she wouldn't let up. I, my 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 trigger with Gina was through the roof in the reunion. Oh, top three least favorite housewife. <laughs> Even wow. now, I'm feeling it. It was just so hard for me to to sit with it. Well, are there any other thoughts you have on the other OC wives before we switch it up to Potomac? You know, I think it's just interesting what's going on with Kelly. At the resort, it's it's so aggressive. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's just she's kind of pissed at Shannon still for sort of gossiping about her behind her back or if that she's threatened by kind of like the possibility of being in a holistic place of reflection and what that might bring up in her. But she's definitely, she's definitely uh, disconnected from her heart and aggressively doing everything she can to disconnect from this experience. Yes, but she always seems to be like that. Anytime they have any sort of place where they're supposed to connect with one another on a deeper level, she turns everything into a joke. It's interesting. You know, she's interesting. She is a fascinating one. I definitely look forward to seeing more of her throughout the season and in years to come because I feel like she's going to be with the Housewives for a very long time. She is kind of almost a perfect housewife in that... She can have these great friendships. She can hold grudges. She has something going on in her life all the time. Yet she also is very grounded with her daughter. Is she? (laughs) Or maybe she's not. Her daughter grounds Uh, her. She's not the grounded one. You're right. Well, that's the problem. That's not good. That is a problem. You know what I mean? That's a problem. I feel like, you know, trotting your daughter out as part of your story. Like, I mean, yeah. if you want to move on, we can move on. Yeah. But I just feel like, look, Kelly, you know, your behavior has embarrassed you. Like, let's just be, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I, there are ways in which I enjoy and like Kelly and I understand she's good for the show. But like, look at your behavior. You know what I mean? From the beginning, like, don't try to act like this is Vicky's fault that Jolie is like getting these DMs or whatever. It's just, and then to trot her out on camera and use her as this sort of, cr- Kelly has been, you know, dealing low blows and dropping bombs, you know, from the moment she came on this show. So my whole thing with that is like, you cannot pretend, you cannot pretend you're a victim now. Like, if you 
want to have boundaries with Vicky, great. But this is what you've been doing from the beginning to other people. So if you don't like what's happening right now, you need to look in the mirror because this is what you've been doing to other people. And I just feel like Kelly is not a victim. So to use her daughter now to kind of feed into this martyr complex she's going, she's got going on, it makes me very uncomfortable. And I will say this. Yes, it is not Jolie's job to ground her mother. I think that that's very problematic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very telling, very telling that Kelly is in Jolie's phone as Mommy Dearest. And I know it was played off as a joke, but again, I'm always looking for the little clues. And I'm telling you, she is not in that phone as Mommy Dearest as a lighthearted joke. Like that's coming from somewhere. And I feel like there's probably a lot of stuff we're not seeing Oh, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sure. sorry. feeling things in my body. Yeah, there's stuff. Oh, God. Okay, there's things we're not seeing happening off camera. So, um, you know, I, I, that's my kind of little tirade about Kelly and Jolie. It is, yeah, it's probably a lot darker than I'm, than I'm thinking. I just really like watching Jolie, even though she may not enjoy being on camera herself. I feel like get her, I feel like get her off camera. You I know, know. It, it, it's feels a little uncomfortable. I always fault Tamara for how she treated her daughter Sydney and didn't respect the boundaries that Sydney had set. So, <laughs> but who knows what boundaries Jolie has asked for or doesn't feel comfortable asking for. I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, does she feel comfortable asking? Probably. For? I not. think she feels very responsible for she feels her very mom. responsible for her mom, for sure. Yeah. Now, I wanted to just dip our toes a little bit into Potomac and Dallas. So for mm-hmm. Potomac, there's a lot that happened this season. Um, yes. I don't think we need to get into the Candace and her mom situation because it is very kind of similar to a lot of the other kind of mother-daughter problematic relationships that we've been seeing. But I'm really interested in the Ashley and Michael Darby mm-hmm. situation. So they've been married for maybe five years, and she had a baby that happened after this season. And he has been accused so many times of being inappropriate with other men. And most recently was accused of groping one of the cameramen. And even it went so far as to go through court. And yeah, it did get thrown out, but who knows why or whatever. And what, I mean, we all know that she has this, we saw this season with her father. This, her father never accepted her as a daughter. And so she's constantly looking for sort of a father figure and a husband. And Michael is much older than her and actually even looks similar to her biological father. Yeah. But what do you what do you think of all this? People say they are, it's a sham marriage. She's just in it for money. I don't think he's got a lot of money. I don't really understand. I can't make heads or tails of why what they're getting from each other. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's a little bit like the Dorit and PK of it all, like the mystery of this relationship. Um, I, yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. I, I think this is what you were saying, but I agree that, uh, oh, no, you were saying you don't think he has that much money. I don't think she just married him. I don't, oh, I see. I don't think it's a sham marriage, meaning I feel like they in their conscious minds tell themselves that they love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think this is like an arrangement. I don't think I mean, maybe there's an arrangement sexually, like maybe it's a little bit more open than they're saying. But I don't think mm-hmm. the marriage itself is just some marriage of convenience. I think that she really believes that she loves him. I think he believes that he loves her. Um, you know, I, I, I do feel like, 
you know, Ashley is someone who does tend to be stubborn. And I feel like probably what's going on, and there, there are these factors at play where she's looking for the father figure. She is looking for financial security. You know, she's looking to come up in the world. And I think that uh, that was all at play. And I think that she's someone who probably doesn't want to consciously acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And so she sort of fights hard for the marriage, you know, and probably it's something similar with him. He might be a little bit more aware of what's really going on in the sense that I think this was a man who wanted sort of a beautiful younger woman and he got it. It feels like there was some tap dancing between them around the baby and maybe he thought he could kind of get away with not actually giving it to her. (laughs) And it turns out that that's not actually true. But I think that, yeah, I don't think it's a sham. Obviously, yes. Are there other factors at play? Which, by the way, there are always other factors at play in every relationship. It's just not always so overt. Um, But I think think they're believing in it. And I think that their feelings for each other are real within that context. Like, I don't, I think that they care about each other. I just think there's a lot of, you know, but there there are a lot of conditions and there are a lot of ulterior motives as well. Interesting. Because I, I kind of feel like she wouldn't really be with him unless she loved him or thought she loved him. And right. I just can't imagine what she's getting from him that's so great that it's some sort of arrangement, you know? I mean, I do think it's interesting. I mean, I feel like we learned more about her this season. I mean, I, I it really sounds like, unless I'm making this up, that she came from really humble beginnings. And I think that in some level that that can't be underestimated, that if she, and wasn't she working at one of his establishments? Am I making that up completely? I don't know if that's how they met, but I wouldn't be surprised. Regardless, like, you know, I think that she really saw an opportunity I do think she saw an opportunity to kind of come up in the world. And I think that, you know, I think especially, yeah, if someone's been like, you know, abandoned by their father and kind of growing up like without a lot, I think that it's hard to underestimate, especially so young. You know what I mean? Like she she was so young when they met, right? Um, Like still in her 20s. And, um, you know, I think things can look really, I think things can look like the answer a lot of times, you know, when, when you're in that kind of mindset, even though to the outside world, you might be like, well, whatever. He's like a, a middling real estate developer in Potomac. But, you know, coming from her background, it might have really looked like an opportunity. Do you like watching Potomac? Yeah, I, well, this season's been awesome. I mean, I, I've watched it from the beginning. I feel like, you know, it's definitely uh, grown into itself. You know, I think second and third season, it kept feeling like, oh, it's almost there. Like, there's stuff I like, it's almost there. And then this was the season where I was like, oh, it has arrived. Um, so, yeah, no, I love it. I, you know, it's it's a dynamic cast. And I think right now it's got just the right blend of, um, you know, they're sassy and they're like, they're spitfire and, you know, there's shade. But especially with the way Karen has softened, you know, in the wake of the deaths of her parents, I feel like there's sort of just enough heart now, too, that, you know, I'm into it. And the stakes have been high this season. I mean, there were really high stakes this season. So, yeah, I'm into it totally. I love it. And Karen is just a joy to watch. I She makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, um, she's great. <laughs> wanted to get into Dallas a bit with mm-hmm. you and especially the – um, Leanne Locken is just such an enigma to me because <laughs> I I don't know. It's like is the only thing that she wants in life is to be known as being a housewife. 
I, I just can't quite figure out what makes her tick. And then we've got Deandra, which, again, we don't need to go into all those issues with her mother, but happy to go into a few of them. Um, just I wanted to know what you think about their friendship and how mm-hmm. it dissolved so quickly. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about this, yeah. I was actually just thinking about this yesterday or the other day. Um, this, is, this is my vibe on their friendship. Um, I feel like Deandra has a lot to prove. So, okay, before I even say that, we all know from, like, actually, you know, I will give you this little tidbit, this fun fact about me, which is actually terribly uninteresting. But the (laughs) only season – oh, no, that's not true. The only seasons of a Real Housewives franchise I have not watched is first season of Dallas and first season of Miami. I haven't seen Miami at all, but I have not seen the first season of Dallas. I came in at season two. I I don't think you're missing much of Miami. I know some people thought the second and third seasons were good, but I don't like it. Um, But we do know from early Dallas that Leanne, very invested in in kind of being like a, like what would we call it? Like a a, a guest of honor in the the world of the social elite of Dallas, right? The charity circuit. (laughs) They call it. (laughs) She doesn't have money, but she's got her place, you know, which gives her her worth and her value. So she's been very invested in that. So obviously, you know, that's what she gets initially out of her friendship with Deandra. And then I think for Deandra, as this sort of, let's call her privileged child of this family, I think she's got a, we see it, she's got a lot to prove, right? She wants Mm -hmm. the world to know, like, you know, she's got it going on. She's not just, you know, some rich girl. And so I think that with Leanne, I think a big part of her relationship with her, I think that she had a real investment in First of all, I think she loved having kind of the power and the status in the relationship because she was, you know, the member of the high society. But I think she also really got a lot out of being the one who kind of kept Leanne on a tight leash because she played that role in the first season of like, Leanne, I'm ready to, you know, and actually, you know, it was part of what initially made her likable. It's like, I'm going to give it to you straight. Like, you know, you can't do this. You can't do this. I think in retrospect, you know, yeah, it feels to me, especially because Deandra is so clearly like got her own sort of huge highs and lows and flies off the chain. I think that she really got an investment and a charge out of like, I'm the one who's like together in this relationship. Oh, Leanne, what would you do without me? So like in the place where she's got something to prove. She gets to kind of be the ringleader or the ringmaster who has the whip. And it's like, oh, crazy Leanne, like good thing big girl Deandra's here to like keep her in line. I think she got a lot out of that dynamic and that she had a lot of power in the relationship in that way. So I think then what happens fast forward and let's not forget, I think this is true. Deandra was supposed to be on the show first season and for some reason wasn't, right? Yes. So the show kicks in. And now suddenly, Leanne, for better or for worse, she's the star of the show. You know what I mean? And suddenly there's kind of like this changing dynamic. And Deandra's on the show, and she was well-liked, right? But she didn't dethrone Leanne as a star of the show. You know what I Not mean? At like all. Leanne, no. the headliner. You know, Brandy maybe a little too, but like Leanne's the headliner. And so I think, you know, because if you remember at the start of last season, there was that whole fight that we didn't get to see about like who's the queen bee. So I think what starts happening for Deandra is like, wait a second, like I've got something to prove. I'm the one with power in this relationship. But suddenly, you know, the royal, the member of the royal court is getting the throne of her own. And I think that's why we saw Deandra, because it just seemed to me like Deandra wanted to be angry at Leanne last season. It felt like she was just looking for a 
fight. And so then there was this contentiousness between them. And then I think what happened was Leanne made that one comment about the bank account, which I want to say I really it was made off camera. I mean, look, is Leanne a big mouth and a busybody? Yes. Do I think she was intentionally trying to hurt Deandra? No. But I think in that moment, Deandra kind of already charged and already pissed and then kind of feeling embarrassed about that coming out on camera. She then went for the jugular and decided to like get back at her by going for the rich stuff. And I feel like at that point, what's going on now, and I actually just made a video about this, I'm gonna post to YouTube, but I think what's going on now is basically Deandra is kind of apologizing for her part in it. Like she's saying, yeah, sorry, I should have done it in private, but my heart was in the right place. I did it out of concern for you as a friend. And I think what's going on with Leanne, whether she's aware of it or not, is she's basically kind of sitting there like, no, like you were coming to me as a friend you wanted to hurt me. Like you had a negative intention to harm me there and you're not owning it. And I think in the place where she's not owning it, Leanne can't move on. And so now Leanne's pretending she can move on. And so Leanne's now getting in her own digs to try to hurt Deandra. So I just think, I think what we're seeing happen is like the root issue is like never being addressed and owned and excavated and so these two are just like they're trying to plant a new garden on a bed of soil that's just overridden with weeds and i think at a certain point deandra would have to get really clear and honest about like hey yeah you know i was jealous i was competitive i was angry and i tried to hurt you and i'm sorry and i don't think that's gonna happen yeah i don't think that's gonna happen either and i 100 percent agree with everything you've said it's just it's so sad, though, because it felt like th- it was a true friendship because they had been friends for almost a decade before they went on television. So I thought, yeah. you know, and watching Brandy and Stephanie go through their own friendship struggles and come <laughs> out on top, which those are, you know, out there. I felt like, is it just arguing over how they were on camera you know, and what they said in the confessionals and what was too much of a dig and and that kind of a thing. And I think it goes so much deeper. You're totally right. Yeah. I mean, and I agree with you. I do think their friendship was real. I mean, I think that they genuinely cared about each other. But, you know, I think something, yeah, I think something happened. And if it's like, if it's not going to be owned, they can't move on. And I think Brandy and Steph, I mean, I, I giggled just because like that fight was so bizarre. I mean, just the fact that Brandy ghosted Stephanie. It's still amazing to me. And it's amazing to me that Stephanie was able to get past it. Uh, but I think even, even though Brandy did ghost her, which to me is just like, I mean, it's so excessive. I, you know, I, I still think there, I don't think that fight cut as deep as the Brandy, uh, I'm sorry, the Deandra and Leanne fight. Definitely. I think at some point they always knew they would come back to each other. Because Brandy knew that Stephanie would always accept her. And, you know, Brandy, you know, she's, you know, she wants to cut deep. You know, she, she's another one. I mean, she's just vicious. I mean, I love the kind of like, I don't know if you watched like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it's like, it's like the Buffy and Faith of it all. Like, I just like Leanne and Brandy, they're just like mirror images of one another. And it's, it's, it's. It's 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 so interesting to see like everything that Brandy hated in Leanne. It's like stuff that she's done, you know, and it's it's I love it. You know, I love it. It's what she doesn't like in herself. Now, you said something that really struck me and I wasn't going to ask you, but now I have to. You said <laughs> that Deandra acted as if she 
really was she wanted to be angry with Leanne. Now, mm-hmm. the only other time I feel like I've seen this is um, this past season on Beverly Hills where all of the women went after LVP. Oh, okay. I tried not to get too much into it because this whole Puppygate thing was just a mess and I didn't enjoy the season, mainly because that was the season. But the, I, it did feel that some of the women went into the season of Beverly Hills thinking this is the season where we're going to take down LVP. And they decided to go after her. And LV, you know, I think LVP would have been ready to fight back had she not gone through the recent death of her brother. But I wanted to just get your thoughts on that. Did you get that sense at all from any of the women that they really felt, maybe not Kyle, but the others certainly seemed to feel like they went in ready to fight? Uh, okay, maybe I'm naive. I'm no, always no, skeptical no. I... about that kind of like premeditated thing. But what I do think, like my version of that, is that I do think the women have been fed up with LVP for a long time. I think they deeply resent her. I think they've yes. deeply resented having to toe the line with her. And by the way, I don't blame them because I see everything that they complain about in LVP and I think it's absolutely true. So I get their frustration. You know, I get what it means to be Lisa. I mean, look, Lisa Rinna has been messy and made huge mistakes and done things that she should not have done. But I also get the anger and frustration of like, oh, my God, like this woman gets off Scott free smelling like roses while I have to like fucking sit here and eat crow and apologize. Like I understand that anger. So I feel like what happened this season is that basically the women did reach their breaking point and that there was kind of this window where it was like, we've got her. And then what happened though was the timing was horrible because yes, LVP went through something awful and she was clearly so vulnerable. And I feel like for the women, I mean, I don't know if they actually felt this bind, but I feel like the bind for them is like, oh my God, we've been dealing with this for years. We finally kind of have found our willingness to confront this. And I think what's interesting about this season is I think this is the first season where none of them gave one fuck about how the viewers felt about it. Like I felt like they were just like we know what's going to happen we know we're going to get vilified we don't care because our truth at this point is more important to us than what people think about us and i think i think they were just ready for it and i think i think there was just such a deep frustration around the timing of it and that they basically the invitation for them in this was to take the high road and to kind of basically say you know what like we have our issues with her now's not the time to do this and unfortunately they did not accept that invitation and i feel like it made them look callous and heartless and it's unfortunate because like i said i actually get where they're coming from it was just it was bad timing and yeah i just kind of feel like they let i think they let the past resentments get the better of them and you know it became a clusterfuck it did it really did and i feel bad about how it all ended but at the same time i just couldn't get over that lisa wouldn't let any of her guard down 
Vanderpump. Vanderpump, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I also say, like, again, I come from the place that we're all creating our own realities. So I just think it's interesting what happened from, you know, it's like, you know, part of me is like, I felt bad. Like, you know, there's a place where I feel bad for Lisa Vanderpump and I have compassion for her. And it's kind of ugly to watch someone who's suffering go through this. And then there's the other part of me. It's kind of like, well, you know, look what you've created for yourself. Like, you know, you treat people like shit, even if you're not fully aware that you're doing it, which I, I do believe that about Lisa. I think so much of what she does is unconscious. So I don't think she fully understands how she kind of manipulates and maneuvers. But regardless, it's something I think she does. And it's like, well, this is what happens. You know, you build your house of cards, it's going to fall down. It's Look, it's even happening on Vanderpump Rules. You know what I mean? It's like people start, people are always turning on Lisa Vanderpump. You know what I mean? She's, you know, and that's the thing. It's like if, if your closest allies are always turning on you, at a certain point, you kind of got to look around and say, you know, you can either say, oh, woe is me, I'm such a victim. You know, my husband is the only one I can rely on. Or you can look at it and be like, okay, what am I doing to create this situation? Lisa Vanderpump does a lot to create this situation for herself. And she um, does. So I feel like she, you know, this is kind of, it's like if, if the Real Housewives were like a fairy tale or if it were the Bible, you know, I feel like it kind of ends with the queen alone in her castle. And that's sort of the last shot we had of her. It's like, yeah, she stays in control. She controls the narrative, but she's at Villa Rosa alone drinking her tea with her swans. And it just feels like that's kind of the moral of the story here for me. You know, I mean, your Lisa Vanderpump fans are going to hate me right now because they get so incensed when anyone They're ever says crazy. Like, I don't know if any like hundred. I, I you have to be able to see multiple sides of a situation, right? Of course, of course. I mean, these people are not perfect. You know, that's why we love them. We love their imperfections. But to pretend that they don't exist, I think, is crazy. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because I feel I hate using like. I hate labeling terms, but I understand it's sort of a collective shorthand. But, you know, a lot of people think of LVP as a narcissist. And what I think is interesting, if you look at it from that perspective, it's so interesting that, like, like she's got these fans who are just so invested in believing the LVP narrative. And I just feel like that's kind of like, that's the energy of the narcissist, right? Like they're so seductive and it's like, it's like us versus them. I just think it's all so interesting. It's like everything is so revealing the way it all plays out on multiple levels, you know? That is fascinating. I'm just like picturing again, LVP alone with her swans drinking rosé. <laughs> It was so striking to me. I mean, it literally, the last shot of her was just alone in her backyard. And it's like, this yeah. is what she did. She withdrew to her castle. She isolated herself. And it's just like, and now you're you're alone. And, you know, I mean, it's sad. It's, it's how she's going to end up in a way. Because she, you know, her, her guard is so up. And, you know, she is someone, like all the kind of quote-unquote narcissists on these shows, it's like, there's a very big heart there, you know? I mean, you feel yeah. it, you know? But mm-hmm. she's very... You know, she's got to be in control, you know, of how that heart energy flows. And you can't, you have to agree to her terms or else you're out. And how you were even describing Perry before about how she calls all the shots and you don't want to piss her off is what Emily was saying. I mean, you started hearing in the more recent seasons of Vanderpump Rules them saying that about Lisa Vanderpump. Like, you know, she'll... You know, because in the beginning, there was this facade of she's this everyone's fairy godmother and she's perfect and we love her and she can do no wrong. And then you start seeing, oh, she'll actually get back at you if you really, you know, cross the line. It's not just Kristen. And, and that was really interesting to me. 
Oh, yeah, the bloom's off the rose. I mean, that's what I was saying. It's like it's even happening on Vanderpump Rules. And yeah. it's interesting because I remember I actually – I refused to watch Vanderpump Rules initially because I watched the pilot. And when I saw Lisa involved in the personal lives of her employees, I was like, this is sick. Like, this is sick and this is creepy. Like, this whole narrative of, like, Lisa as the, like, amazing den mother, I was like, this is inappropriate. She should not be involved in these people's lives. There's a power dynamic here. Like, you know, she's their boss. She's a producer on the show. Like, they're supposed to act out for the show, but then she's going to, like, get them in trouble. Like, I was just like, this is sick. And I put the show away and of course years later returned to it and like binge watched it in two weeks. But yeah, it's, 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 she's, she's running a circus. Like, you know, whether she's on Real Housewives or Vanderpump Rules, this is, it's, it's Lisa's world and we're all just living in it for sure. That is for sure. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for joining this week and for sharing all of your insights about all of these very fascinating and sometimes troubling women. <laughs> Would love to hear from you. Um, tell everyone where they can find you, both on social media and your website and on your YouTube. Well, first of all, definitely, if you're on Instagram, follow me there because I actually post exclusive content there. And actually, every other Sunday, I also accept kind of quick hit questions on my insta story so if you want kind of a quick intuitive hit you can submit it to me um oh my handle is jamie stein j-a-m-i-e-s-t-e-i-n and then yeah i have a youtube channel where i do longer form videos about the housewives and then yeah if you uh want to go if you're interested if you kind of are hearing me and you know perking up around any of this you can definitely go to my website check it out the url is hollywoodreadings.com and you can read about readings there and feel free to email me if you're interested and you know connecting and learning more thank you so much for being on i just really appreciate your insight and i don't think you got too dark i thought you thought you got just dark enough <laughs> okay. well you know it's like i'm so comfortable with the darkness but i'm aware that you know we're talking about the real housewives and i don't want to i don't want to like uh you know it's fun, cast. but you know there's darkness in all of our lives and they just theirs just happen to be on tv Right. Well, and look, The Real Housewives is has gotten very dark. I mean, look at New York. That is a dark. I almost can't watch New York anymore. It's, <laughs> I dark, love, it's my know? favorite one. <laughs> I know people love it, and I'm just like, it is like it makes me. It's like a little bit of a nauseous experience for me because these women, they're uh, <laughs> they're struggling. It's 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 a lot. They're struggling, but they're living out loud, and they're not pretending. Or well, and some of them are. <laughs> Well, no, New York has its own play. It's definitely become a comedy of errors for sure. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's alive and it's, it's a farce. It's a dark, dark farce of our, of our deepest shadow. I love that. A farce of our deepest shadow. Well, yeah. thank you again, Jamie. And we'll definitely need to have you back on, especially this um, fall and winter when Vanderpump Rules returns because – those characters, I think, are much more complex than than they let on on the show. I know. We'll see. We'll see where the season goes. Where do they go from here? You know. Where do they go? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Have a great week. No, and thank you for having me. You too.
This is your new home speaking. I know you haven't moved in yet, but I need some favors. Could you dust the blinds? The dust makes me feel dusty. Also, we could save a lot of money if you bundled your home and car insurance with Geico. It's super easy to do online or over the phone. Last favor, when you move in, could you stick to one aesthetic? The last owner had a weird mix of floral wallpaper and nautical tchotchkes, and I can't have another identity crisis. Geico. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com today. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.